Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. It is great to be with you, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, for the next three hours and a whole lot to cover, including somehow, some way, the Mississippi State women's basketball team won the fourth quarter twenty. What was it? Hey, Dad, twenty-two to two That's last correct. night, and they entered the quarter losing the game. So down four, one by uh, by sixteen. What, 16. Yeah. That is. Uh, so we'll get to that at some point, but we got a ton to get to, including a bizarre NFL story out of New Orleans. We'll talk some basketball this afternoon. Mississippi State, Keaton, I don't want to call it an important game. How about an opportunity game in Norman, Oklahoma this weekend? Ole Miss trying to stop the bleeding on the road in Athens. We'll look at both of those. A ton of stuff to get to this afternoon. Eli Manning's retirement went officially official today with a press conference. Um, Nice and classy and well done, so we'll talk about that. Of course, do the whole, is he going to be a Hall of Famer thing? Got to get to that at some point today as well. So a lot to get to with you and there's a couple of ways you can be a part of the show you can call us 888-808-8637 uh, bear with me because i'm in the studio uh, by myself today but if you do call i will answer i promise just maybe not immediately but if you want to call you can 888-808-8637 on the farm bureau phone line or you can text the show 601-879-4395 on the ceasefire text line we'd love to hear from you this afternoon and uh, it is good, again, always good to be with you. So, guys, what's up on a Friday? So here's what I, here's what I got to do today. And if you've seen it, I put it on Twitter and on Facebook. <clears throat> but uh, we had our uh, our press conference today with Ben Hallen. So he pops his head in. We're supposed to meet with him at 145. He pops his head in at like 140. Guys, I'm about five minutes late. I got to go do my cryotherapy. Sure, Coach, no problem. Comes back in. He's like, guys, that, that cryotherapy is just, it's just incredible what it does for you. Do any of you all work out? And you know, workout might be a stretch, but I, I today I did my yoga and I went for I walked about four and a half miles. So that is a workout. Like, All right, so I put my hand up. He's like, "Y'all want to get in there?" So I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll try it out." So me and uh, Tyler Horker from the Clarion Ledger, the only two who wanted to do it, jumped in there. And buddy, it is cold as hell in there. It is cold. Okay, so explain to the people what it actually is, because when you hear cryotherapy, so you, you, you have no idea what it is. Picture yourself in a in a chamber, and the only thing that's that, that's visible is your head. You know, you're standing. They got a little slot for your head to go through, and then this icy cold mist just envelops your body. And I mean, it's got to be as cold as liquid can be. And you sit in there for a, a full two minutes. You get three sprays of it. And I mean, it's cold. It's, I was shivering when I got out, but I was sore when I walked in there. I am not sore now. I feel great. So, so thanks, Coach Allen. Appreciate that. So is that what it is? Just like a body recovery thing? Yeah, 
and they said it, it, it does a lot for you know obviously for pain for fatigue he said he said that I will sleep better tonight so I'll, I'll report back on that I guess on Monday's show um, he said it, it's great for for people who have you know pain migraine headaches it, it helps them and uh, but it's, it's mainly about recovery from what I can tell so as I was getting in like I. Tyler went first, and then Reggie Perry comes in. They're like, we need him to go ahead of you. I was like, I, I get that. <laughs> so he goes, and, I mean, he was he was cold from what I could tell from his facial expressions. And then as I'm leaving, Robert Woodard and the rest of the guys were, were fixing to jump in. I mean, it's they, it, it's something they do every week, and uh, it, it's helped them a lot. And Coach Howland swears by it. He says he feels a lot better when he does them. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you have a picture of you? In the cryotherapy I do. It's, it's my new Twitter uh, profile picture. Oh, uh, I can't wait to look at that. Yeah, and I tweeted. I tweeted it out too. Plus, it's on my Facebook page. This sounds like something from somebody that would know. And uh, of course, the second I pull it up, the text line goes down. But uh, of course, uh, of course, it's just going to be like that on a Friday. Here we go from the six six two. It redistributes blood and mixes of the lactic acids in extremities. So I know uh-huh. some of those words. That sounds like what smart people say. <laughs> I, I made sure to wear the shoes. I didn't want to end up like Antonio Brown. Yeah, so it, now that you've been in one of those things, is that story believable? Like, did he really if get frostbite in one of those? If you went in there without shoes on and you did it more than, like, the recommended time, easily. It's cold, man. It, and it's cold. It's moist and cold in there. So, yeah, I can totally buy into that. We uh, we need to take that picture and uh, tweet it to all the uh, Sports Talk followers as well. By, by all means. Yeah. Oh, look at that. That is so funny. You, you kind of look like Houston Nutton there, by the way. <laughs> I don't read your stuff, Rippy. People just tell me about it. That, um, that one looks a lot better than the one Houston was in. The one Houston was in looked like it was a dishwasher at a local restaurant, you know? We got that high dollar technology here at Mississippi State, you know. Hey, Dad. Hey, my connection was cutting in and out there. What do you like? I did. Like, do you stroll in there like it's a shower, or are you fully clothed? How does yeah. that work? No, no, no. I was, I was down to my skivvies there, man. Just uh, he's like, if your if your socks are dry, you can leave your socks on. They give <laughs> you some some shoes that they're not really shoes. They're like I, I don't know how to describe them. They're basically, they go over your socks though. And then I had to wear these big insulated gloves, so none of my extremities were uh, were uh, available. Oh, but, uh, man. Thomas in Greenwood says, what yeah. about frostbite on the most important extremity? I was wearing yeah, my how's underwear. how does that work? So, Glove yeah. shoes and, like, a heavy-duty Speedo? I, I, was wearing, I, was wearing, I was wearing my boxers. Okay. Oh, man. Hey, fun. Dad, in a cryotherapy chamber. Yeah. That's exactly what we needed on this Friday. Rippy, what's up with you? I did not do that. I did a different form of that. I sat out at the baseball field in 35, 40-degree <laughs> weather same for thing, yeah. about 25 minutes and had that going. So, What did you learn? Anything? Mike Bianco has a beard. That's what I learned. Oh, interesting. Oh, He's completely yeah. changing his image. I mean, last year at the Super Regional, they were all laid back and didn't really care, and then now it's he's got a beard. What, what's happening here? I don't know. I'm going to come back in March. He's going to have a man bun flowing or something. <laughs> uh, I saw a picture yesterday of a couple of guys in the mix at first base. And um, not body shaming at all, because I think I'd fall into this category, especially lately. The baby's causing me to gain weight. I blame him. It's all my fault. But since the baby has come, I've packed on you know, 15 pounds or so. Um, got some thick boys on first base right now. 
I mean, Tim Elko's a big guy. Kevin Graham, I guess, is not small. I, I don't know. Who are these who, two mean, others? Because they were not either one of those guys. Uh, do they have numbers? Only saw the fronts. Mm, I mean, Kale Baker gives off a very, like, whiskey meat, I'm going to hit home runs and trot a lot type of deal. So who's that guy? He's a newcomer, I, obviously. So who yeah, is he? Yeah, Juco triple crown guy. I I guess he could potentially play first base. I would have him probably slotted at DH or one of the corner outfit slots. Could be wrong about that, but we shall see. I think Elko and Graham are probably the two candidates at first, if I had to take a guess. Uh, anything else that uh, you saw or noticed? I know you got a chance to talk to the football players slash baseball players as well, or at least just one. Of them. one. Yeah, just Plumley. Uh, no, he uh, he plays baseball in addition to football, is what I learned today. It is real. He's at practice. Aside from that, not not really a whole lot. I mean, today was their first real official practice, and there wasn't a whole lot to be gained. I mean, I I think Mike even made a comment about the lack of questions. It just, I mean. You know, they're out there. They're moving around. They they have a ridiculous schedule coming up, but they're excited about it. Should pitch it okay. Uh, Doug, you'll see a more of a slider from Doug McKenzie this year if you'd like to get into the minutiae of all that. But aside from that, not really a whole lot. I mean, they have 14 guys coming back, a lot of newcomers. The outfield is completely up for grabs. I, I don't think I could begin to take a stab at getting all three of those correct at this point. But What positions that, are not up for grabs? Because it kind of sounds like the the way you're describing it, I mean, it's most of them. Shortstop, third, first, base to a degree. Dunhurst is probably going to catch, but I guess you can't really cement that. And then Justin Bench, I will likely play second base or center field, but I guess you can't cement that either. So kind of along those lines, really just all the outfield spots are kind of up for grabs. But Servidio at short, Keenan at third, and Elko or Graham at first base, pretty safe bet. So that's what's going on. There was also uh, basketball availability. We'll get Haydad's thoughts on that coming up as well. We'll preview Mississippi State and Oklahoma, Ole Miss and Georgia. We'll uh, take a look at the Lady Bulldogs win last night. Like we said a second ago, I mean, just a remarkable fourth quarter. Losing the game going into the fourth quarter and winning the final frame 22-2. to I don't know how you can find out if that's ever happened before, but I just highly doubt that that has ever happened before. Uh, so we'll look at that as well. But the story in the sports world today, at least uh, the most bizarre one that you've heard in a while. This is the the headline from the Associated Press. The New Orleans Saints are going to court to keep a to keep secret hundreds of emails that allegedly show team executives doing public relations damage control for the area's Roman Catholic Church amid its sexual abuse crisis. Whoa. So we're going to unpack that a little bit coming up, tell you what you need to know about the Saints and some executives and their involvement in that. Bizarre story that broke earlier today. We'll give you all the details coming up at Sports Talk Mississippi. One text I want to get to here before we go into this Saints story. Just didn't want to forget about you listening to us, uh, whoever you are. From the 662, Rippy, do you have anything, the latest on Zach Evans, that five-star running back, has almost got a chance. And before you answer, I will say, as far as I know, that recruitment is um, a fascinating one. 
and not in a good way at this point. Seems like there are a lot of ropes being pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, to give a prediction would probably be futile, at least from what I understand. It, it, Ole Miss may or may not get him, but it's a bizarre recruitment and a lot of strings and ropes are being pulled in so many different directions that um, it's almost one of those you may be okay if it goes a different direction with how weird this whole thing's gotten. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, that you just kind of answered it. I, I, are they, do they have a chance? Sure. Uh, as far as predicting the way that's going to go, considering the way it's gone so far, it would be next to impossible. And Jeff, I see your text. Hold that thought. We will get into the uh, the Eli Manning thing coming up in a little bit, but I uh, don't want to bury the lead anymore. The story came out from the AP earlier today. I believe it's an exclusive to the AP. And uh, reading is not great for radio. I understand that, but I feel like it's important that I, I give you all the details from this story about what is going on uh, in New Orleans right now. So, reading from the AP, the New Orleans Saints are going to court to keep the public from seeing hundreds of emails that allegedly show team executives doing public relations damage control for the area's Roman Catholic archdiocese to help it contain the fallout from a sexual abuse crisis. Attorneys for about two dozen men suing the church say in court filings that the 276 documents they obtained through discovery show that the NFL team, who is owned by a devout Catholic, Gail Benson, aided uh, that archdiocese diocese, excuse me, thank you, Haydad, um, of New Orleans and aided them in its pattern and practice of concealing its crimes. That is a quote from uh, the attorneys for whatever it's worth. They say, quote, obviously the Saints should not be in the business of assisting and the Saints public relations team is not in the business of managing the public relations of criminals engaged in pedophilia, the attorneys wrote in a filing. The Saints realize that if the documents at at issue are made public, this professional sports organization will be smearing itself, end quote. More from the AP. The Saints organization and its attorneys emphatically disputed any suggestion that the team helped the church cover up crimes. In a statement Friday, the Saints say the Archdiocese sought its advice on how to handle media attention that would come from the 2018 release of its list of more than 50 clergy members that were critically accused of sexual abuse. Quote, the team said, The advice was simple and never wavering. Be direct, open, and fully transparent while making sure that all law enforcement agencies were alerted. The team also said that it has no interest in concealing information from the press or the public and that it, quote, merely requested the court to apply the normal rules of civil discovery, end quote. Attorneys for the Saints argued in court earlier this month that the 2018-19 emails were intended to be private and should not be fodder for the public. Uh, the church is also fighting the release of those emails. The NFL has been made aware of the situation going on right now, and they refused to comment to the AP. Okay, so I believe that's um, about everything you need to know. I do know that um, local church leaders and the Saints have a, a long-standing relationship uh, the Archbishop, who sees over that region, and Gail Benson, according to the article, are uh, extremely tight. Uh, they uh, go to they're at games together. 
Uh, so they are very close. Obviously, their involvement with the Catholic Church extends uh, a long way. The Archbishop was um, with her uh, at her husband's funeral procession in 2018. So very close relationship with the team and with um, the local church. And now this legal issue has come out thanks to the AP. Uh, guys, a lot to unfold here. Um I don't even know where to begin, so I'll just leave the floor open to you for now. When you first heard this story, what did you think? Oh, I got a wild idea. If I had a billion-dollar business, I'm probably not letting it bleed into doing PR for criminals. Like I, That doesn't seem like a wise, wise uh, business decision. There. I don't know, Rippy. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I guess it's a risk-reward type of deal, but I'm going to probably say that's a pretty poor strategy uh, to mix your billion-dollar business with uh, crimes against minors. There, there's only two reasons somebody would do what they, the Saints have done here, and that's stupidity and arrogance. And my guess is this is both of them are involved here, that the Saints didn't think they'd ever find out because they're the biggest deal in the city of New Orleans, or, or they're just idiots. At the end of the day, when you get an email from someone saying, hey, how should we handle this huge pedophilia scandal? My response is going to be, yeah, you're on your own there, boss. I'm not going to get involved. Please delete my contact information. And as a Catholic, this scandal, which has you know, been going on for so long now, is the biggest stain or one of the biggest stains in church history. It is, it is awful. And now my favorite football team has tied themselves up in it. I'm not going to wear a fleur-de-lis like a scarlet letter. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. If if the Saints are involved in this and it comes out, I'm done. I'm out. I won't I won't go any further with the Saints. More from the story. Attorneys for the men suing the church say quote, multiple Saints personnel, including the senior vice president of communications, used the team email address, that's right, the NFL domain, to advise oh. church officials Good on Lord. the messaging. That's, not, that's stupidity. There's your stupidity and your arrogance right there. It's, it's like it's like not 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 that these are anywhere near the same thing, but it's like Freeze not using a burner phone to do what he was doing. The level of arrogance is the same. And he was arrogant. Yeah, yeah you're right. The, le- the the level of just like well, I, yeah. I, I guess if it is arrogance in this case, the level is the same. It's just like what are you what, what are you doing? Like why would yeah. like. I just don't understand. This seems like a mess that I would ne- like. Even if I didn't own a billion dollar business, uh, and someone offered me money to do PR for that, I'm probably just being like, "Nah, I- I'm okay. I'm good." Yeah. And so now, I mean, what a what a terrible look. What a terrible situation. I mean, it, th- th- this is one of the worst black marks in the history of of the Catholic Church. This whole scandal. It's been and and. and as a Catholic, man, it's tough. It's tough, you know, when you go up there and you find out you can't trust the priests. You can't trust the people who you have chosen to lead your church. And uh, so for me, and that now, I mean, I, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm just not. I'm not, you know, and I'm sure the Saints will win the Super Bowl next year if I'm not cheering for them. So be it. But I'm not going to sit up here and cheer for this team if I find out that they were covering up for child molesters. I'm just not. I call me, you know, whatever you want, but I'm I'm gonna jump on, and I, I guess at that point I'll be done with the NFL because I feel like I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna waste my Sundays cheering for the Bengals or the Lions, but I feel like if I pick the Chiefs, I'm gonna be a little bandwagony. So I don't know, maybe Rippy can can bring me on board as a Titans fan. I don't know, 
But Tom Brady Titans jerseys in the mail, dude. I got you. Four X, please. Uh, the the <laughs> yeah, main question, and it's the obvious question, is if you really and truly had advice that was simple and never wavering, be direct, open, and fully transparent while making sure all law enforcement agencies were alerted, that takes a single email. Yeah. And that single email, you should be proud that it's public. If that's the advice you gave them was to tell the full truth and nothing but the truth and be transparent, that takes one email, and having your name attached to that is not a bad thing that you fight in court to cover up 300 documents, emails out there, it does not take that many times to tell yeah. them to be honest. Well, Joey yeah, Madison sure, the, says it right. He says 100 plus emails doesn't simulate, sound like, quote, simple communication. You're exactly right. Well, sure. And the whole line about them fighting it for not to be fodder for the public, if it was just that simple advice to be honest and straightforward, that really isn't fodder for the public. No one would be talking about that. So, like, no, no like, one would care. They would be like, oh, the, okay, that's weird, but at least you told them what they should have done. Right. Thank you. So, like, yeah. So, like, the the idea that they're trying to fight from these being released disproves. I think almost immediately disproves the whole. Well, we just gave them simple advice. Like th that doesn't. J those two things don't seem to jive. It's just. I mean, it it makes your skin crawl uh, knowing that that these people and. It, the article only mentions that Gail Benson is close to the church. They don't actually say she was involved. Doesn't matter though. The fact that doesn't matter. These people were involved in any way advising people who were directly involved with sexual abuse of children. I, God, it's hard to say out loud. It's hard to fathom thinking more into it. We will continue on this next. A bunch of your texts have come in. We'll get your reaction and continue on this big story out of the NFL next. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Welcome back into Sports Talk Mississippi on this Friday afternoon. Continuing on with this, this story out of the NFL. The New Orleans Saints uh, leadership in the front office worked with the, the local Catholic church to help damage control when they released the names of 50 credible or the names of people involved in the church that were accused credibly of sexual assault mostly to minors people in the saints front office including the director of the of communications aided with almost 300 emails and documents uh, on their public relations effort to mitigate uh, damage and control messaging from this. So talking about that story, you can read it at the Associated Press in its entirety. Uh, the Saints deny um, doing anything other than telling them to be transparent and honest, but they are going to court over it. Uh, lawyers on uh, the accuser's side want those emails and documents released. The Saints are doing what they can to block the release of those documents. Um, Tim and McGee says, uh, I don't agree with Haydad much, but he just gained a ton of respect from me. I'm done with the Saints and the NFL if all of this is connected. Kevin and well, Smith, go ahead. To be completely fair, worst case scenario here, if all of this ends up being true to the fullest, 
and then the team gets sold, like the new ownership, like your hands are kind of white clean to some degree. Like new ownership would have nothing to do with whatever happened previously, no? But do you think that's going to happen? Do you think the team, would, they're going to force Gail Benson to sell the team? I don't. Yeah, I guess that's fair as well. It depends on what's in those emails. If they lose and they come out and it shows that they were complicit or trying to cover up what was going on, then yeah. But being forced to sell a multi-billion dollar team, what the hell kind of punishment is that? Yeah. I mean, she can't be the owner any anymore, but here's $3 billion for your trouble. Yeah. I mean, it's no punishment at all, but I, I guess to Rippy's point, that would be a house cleaning of the people involved because Sean Payton's not involved. The players are not involved here. Any coach or anything like that, it's seemingly only communications people, like not Mickey Loomis, the GM either. It's front office communications executives. So if they get rid of those people, you're not leaving behind those that would have even known this was going on. So maybe they can save face that way, but still selling a team is absolutely, uh, I mean, just a, a garbage punishment because you get to become $3 billion richer. Uh, yeah. Kevin in Smithville says, here come the ain'ts again. If it's revealed they did cover this up, it will not only lose fans, they will probably lose players that refuse to work for the organization that enables it. Don on the Coast says 300 emails. Sounds like the Clintons are involved. <laughs> uh, from the 662, you don't go to court to keep documents private if they are not incriminating. Michael in Poplarville says the Saints will pay the judge off to prevent the release. Um... I mean, I guess that's possible, but we will see. Somebody from the 662 says, Hey, Dad, you can join him as a long-suffering Bears fan. Ah. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, from the 601, I don't think the players on the field had anything to do with the emails. No, they did not. That's, that's important. Uh, the team, the coaches had nothing to do with this at all. But still, it's, it's ownership, it's organizational leadership directly tied to the efforts to mitigate the message of the seriousness of serial child sexual abuse. Uh, that's still really hard to say. Um, Billy in Ocean Springs says, this situation is not really fair to the players because they had no control over whether the PR team is helping the church or not. I have a feeling they learned the same way we did today. They got the yeah. ESPN notification on their phone. That's how I learned about it. Yeah, saw it on Twitter. Yeah, I know you're joking here, uh, somebody in the 662. I, I know you are, but he says, nice team you adopted, Borky. Now you must own it. And, again, I know you're joking, but th th it's such a problem that we have in sports. It happened with the Penn State thing and the Baylor thing that the people that feel this the most are, are the ones that are not directly involved in it. You know? I, I mean... The f the equation of because I adopted this team seven years ago, now I must bear some kind of responsibility or my moral fiber is in question. Hey, Dad's been a Saints fan his entire life. And there will be people, especially on the internet because it's a cesspool of misery, um, will try to use that as like a, a stab at him. Like, oh, that's the team you like. You should feel bad about yourself. 
it's terrible how that happens in sports, but it happens all the time when scandals like this go on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, you, if you're walking around, if this is all true and you're walking around with a, with a Saints t-shirt on or something like that, you, I mean, you're going to take some, uh, some heat for that. And that's, you know, that's just part of the game. I mean, it's, Again, not not comparing the situations, but you know, with Ole Miss, their fans have had to, to be the brunt, the brunt of some jokes uh, in recent times, and you know, this is just it's just how it goes. But for me, just for me, I just and I get it's the players and all that. I mean, I guess it, like what you're saying, if they, if they if they sold the organization and got a whole new staff in there, maybe it's different then. But if if the Bensons own the team, and I I don't believe the NFL will make them sell. Uh, I mean. I understand the players aren't involved, but I mean, how can I how can I support that organization? I can't. I feel like I can't. Little Possum says, "Let's talk Ole Miss and State recruiting or basketball uh, or baseball, which inter squads start this weekend. I know the Saints' involvement is crucial with the information that came out, but let's talk about something else. Um, we're going to talk about whatever we think is most important today. So we'll, we'll get to basketball and stuff, Little Possum. But this is a huge deal, man, and we have." A ton of listeners south of I-20. It's a big population base down there in the state of Mississippi, people that listen to our show every day, that are our fans of this organization. And it's important to the people of this state. Maybe not you, but this is a massive story. Um, and I think we need to cover it until um, until we it runs its course today. And we will get to basketball we will get to recruiting if there's time, but this is a big story, and we're not just going to going to ignore it. Um, it's a team in our footprint, and we have again massive population base south of I-20, and this matters here, and so we're going to cover it as well. We should. Somebody from the six one five having a little fun with you, hey dad, saying your moral fiber has always been in question. I need some actual fiber every now and then. I don't need enough of that. Tim and Tupelo says if this is true, he's done with it completely, been a Saints fan since 72. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just, and like I said, being Catholic as well, I'm sort of, you know, attuned to this, and, I, you know, it's it's been bad enough when it was just, you know, what am I doing on Sundays now? <laughs> I mean, my Sundays were go to church and go watch the Saints. Now, like, what am I doing? I don't know. Joey and Madison says he thinks this is blown out of proportion because most are innocent. Drain the swamp. Fair enough. What if you named your child Benson? Do you change their name from the 601? Rippy, go ahead. Oh, I didn't understand that last one. Meaning that there are only a, a select few people that are actually involved in this, and you clean house of them, and the organization otherwise is, uh, yeah, is okay. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple of you have asking what we are talking about. You must have been just joining us. A story came out earlier today uh, where... There is a legal battle going on where the New Orleans Saints were directly executives with the New Orleans Saints. Not the team, but people that work for the team were involved in public relations, in messaging, uh, assisting uh, the local Catholic Church on how to mitigate damages of the release of serial child sexual abuse, and they were involved in the messaging and public relations after that. They are trying to block 276 documents or emails that uh, show that communication between those employees of the team using their NFL emails and the church. 
The team's trying to block it. The alleged victims are trying to get those brought to light. It's a really big story. And uh, Lonnie, you say you don't think the average fan cares. I think, number one, our text line tells you otherwise, but I, I just I simply disagree with you. Uh, I think people really care about this, and this well, is important I'll, to people. I'll say this, and I, this is what I always say about like message board and Twitter, is, is not everybody – I mean, there's 65,000, 70,000 fans at a Saints game, right? How many of them are, are on Twitter? And you know, The average fan might not even know about this, so he might be correct. But the fans that keep up with this kind of stuff are going to have uh, these kind of issues. And Little Possum says he thought head-to-head, which has been gone for over a year, was a sports talk radio show. I I don't know how to get this through to you, Little Possum. The New Orleans Saints are a football team. Well, he says that. He said he wasn't trying to be disrespectful. He thought it was for sports talk for Ole Miss and State. Well, number one, that's not our show anymore. I'm just saying. And two, we do more than that. People care about this. And maybe I'm wrong. Look, I guess maybe Lonnie and, and you, little possum, are, are right. And nobody cares about this. I think you're dead wrong. And this is a big story and an important one. Congrats on that 18-month nap, though, Chief. We'll be right back. We appreciate all the engagement. A lot of you texting in and being a part of the conversation on this Friday afternoon. And uh, we're going to move on here. Um Turn our attention towards Eli Manning's retirement, some hoops. And Orgeron got a big, fat contract extension. Um, nice raise, too. I mean, almost almost double his salary. Like a 75% raise for Coach O. Feels like he deserved it. Yeah, I think when you go 15-0 and and win a national title, when in SEC land, making $4 million a year is a discount, uh, you're, you're going to get an upgrade. So, all of that coming your way. But again, we appreciate you guys um, listening and being a part, texting in, and uh, engaging with us this afternoon. ton of you listening. and Even uh, Richard and Wiggins. Even Richard and Wiggins. We are, we're always glad to have you. But uh, <laughs> uh, for all of you that did text in, we appreciate you. Glad you're with us on this Friday afternoon. Uh, but we will move on. Uh, To the poll question of the day, Eli Manning announced his retirement officially, formally from the New York Giants earlier today. I think all three of us actually agree uh, on this. We all think that Eli Manning should be a Hall of Fame quarterback. So the poll question today, though, is will he be? Will he be a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback? Will he make the Hall of Fame, but not on the first ballot? Or will he miss out? on the NFL Hall of Fame. So what do you think? Text us, 601-879-4395, or you can vote in the poll on Twitter. I am typing it as we speak. It'll be up in just a second. But guys, Eli Manning's career came officially to an end today. I know you guys think he will be a Hall of Famer, but will he be? First ballot or otherwise? I tend to think not first ballot, but I think he'll get in. He could get in first ballot. It wouldn't surprise me. He certainly got a good enough resume. Um, I mean, two Super Bowl wins is going to get you a lot, especially when you beat Tom Brady twice, two Super Bowl MVPs. Um, He's a definite Hall of Famer. He'll get in first ballot. It can be iffy sometimes, but we'll see. Any thoughts, Rippy? I don't don't know enough about like the ballot thing in football in terms of like how clear cut you have to be to be first ballot. Seventy five percent. Just like baseball. 
No, yeah, no, I get that. I, I don't mean like, like, I know the actual like threshold of the rules, but like baseball is incredibly harder than basketball in terms of like being first ballot. Like I haven't like, I guess kept up enough in the past to know just like what level your career had to be to get the 75%, if that makes sense to be first ballot. So just off, I guess, ignorance, I would agree with Hey Dad that probably not first ballot, but I, I think two Super Bowls beating Brady twice gets him in the Hall of Fame. I, I tend to agree. I don't think he's going to be a first ballot guy. And maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, if you want to read it at SB Nation, uh, gave a really good argument. And he's a little bit biased. He, he did play with Eli for, I think, one season. Uh, blocked for him. But gave a pretty good argument for why he should be, and it's not a question. But there are people that are going to look at that career record of 500. There are people that are going to look at uh, the last five, six seasons of lacking production. And that's not really fair because the teams he were on, uh, he was on were just awful. The front office in New York did him absolutely no favors whatsoever. But people are going to look at that. And they're going to use it against him. Uh, but the, the two Super Bowls and the two Super Bowl MVPs are, are going to be what ultimately gets him over the threshold. There is going to be some blowback. And there just is. I don't think it's a first ballot. I do think he gets in, though. Interesting. And I wasn't aware of this. I saw it on Twitter, and now somebody, one of our texters from the 662 has it. Outside of those two Super Bowl runs, he never won a playoff game. Now, that's sort of, you know, inconsequential when you win two Super Bowls. But he never had just a season where he got to the NFC Championship game or anything like that. I did not know that. Pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, it is. From the 662, first ballot Hall of Fame, also new full-time Grove tailgater. <laughs> Mike in Oxford says greater than 85% on the first ballot. I just, but I don't get the 500 thing. Warren Moon was 102 on 101. Dan Fouts was 86 and 84. Is that one to two games really that big of a difference? No, I'm not, I'm not going to buy into that. No, but I I, people will use it. I saw somebody suggest today that... Um, he shouldn't get in because he never won a league MVP. Oh, come on now. I mean, how stupid is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, another thing with, with the, if you're going to keep Eli Manning out, if, if it's not the playoffs. His numbers aren't stupid, ridiculous, right? He doesn't have like any, you know, 4,500, 5,000 yard passing seasons. He never had a year where he, I don't think he threw for 40 touchdowns or anything like that. He just a, a really good quarterback who had two incredible days where he was the S, the, uh, the uh, Super Bowl MVP. But it longevity, longe- I can't say it. He had a long career. And, <laughs> longevity, yes. And I mean, he was just consistent. And but he, but he's definitely a Hall of Famer to me. Charlie says recency bias is the only thing hurting him. Organizational leadership was awful with the Giants. True. You are definitely not wrong about that. From the six six two, Patrick Willis was the best at his position for eight years and wasn't first ballot. Eli was two for ten. I, I will. Uh, Revise that text and bring it to you after the break. Uh, A lot of yours coming in. Love the responses. We'll get to all yours. Continue this conversation. And look at Mississippi State women's hoops last night. Bizarre finish in a good way. We'll be right back at Sports Talk Mississippi. Hour number two on this Friday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky. Brian Haydad. Brian Scott Rippey with you. The results of our poll question so far. Will Eli Manning make the Hall of Fame? Not do you think he should, but will he? 
Yes, first ballot is 33.7%. Yes, but not first ballot, 57.7%. And no has 8%. You want to vote in the poll, you uh, can do that. Find us on Twitter at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Or you can text the show 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. And of course, as always, need to remind you that all guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Kelso in Ocean Springs says, first ballot for sure. He had a better quarterback rating than Troy Aikman. Is that true? I don't know if that's true or not. It'd be something if only we had a device. Yeah, I guess we could do that. From the 601, look at Joe Namath's numbers. He was under 500 all time. That's true. It's true. I mean, just a different kind of, of game back then, but obviously, but yeah. All right, let's see here. From the 662, saw that one of Eli's Super Bowl teams had the 32nd ranked rushing offense. No other stat should matter. That's automatic Hall of Fame. All right, here we go. We're going to get the answer right here. Yeah, was higher. How about that? 84-1 to 81-6. I would have never guessed that, ever. I would have called you a liar if you told me that was true. Uh, Greg and Jackson says, did any quarterback beat Brady twice in the Super Bowl? Nope. Those are his two losses. Yeah, well, he's got one more. He's got Nick Foles. Oh, yeah, Nick Foles did beat him. I forgot about that. The Philly special. Got him a big, fat contract that the Jaguars are absolutely regretting right now. Yep. John and Hardiman, did Eli ever miss a game due to injury? He had that long starting streak, and then Ben McAdoo, who's a complete idiot, ruined that streak for absolutely no reason at all to play... Oh, his name's escaping me. Who did Geno Smith? Geno Smith, thank you. Yeah, Ben McAdoo, who got fired at the end of that season, sat Eli Manning in a hopeless year, ruined his streak to play Geno Smith in one of the most confusing quarterback decisions you've seen in a while in the NFL. It didn't make any sense. He got ripped apart for it, as he should have. That didn't cost him his job because his team was awful, um, but that didn't help. That's probably why he is uh, no longer a head coach in the uh, National Football League. Although he did uh, interview with somebody recently, didn't he? Was it the Panthers? What is it? Not as the head coach. No, right? as a staff member. Yeah, as like a coordinator or something. From the six six two, Dan Marino had stats and a winning record. I'm an Eli fan, but without Super Bowls, he wouldn't be thought for the Hall. Well, I mean that's true, probably. But, but he's at got the same him. time, he ha- he's got the Super Bowls. You know, it's just that simple. From the Michael in Poplarville says championships trump stats. They really do in the NFL more than anything, too, to me. Rings, man. I mean, That's always the argument with Jordan. And even though it's it's kind of hollow now, it's Jordan versus LeBron. Who you got? Well, Jordan's got the rings. That's the right. first thing everybody says. But even like, and this is going to pain me, but in the LeBron-Kobe debate, Kobe's got more rings. But I would, you know, LeBron's the better player. So I think, and most people would agree with that, I think. But in the NFL, I mean, if if you, there are people who would, you know, put Trent Dilfer in this list because he's got one <laughs> Super Bowl ring. So the question I always get is, and I and I, I would rather be on the uh, the first one I'm going to say, but would you rather be Robert Ory, who had seven championships, but he was never, you know, a Hall of Fame player, or would you rather be Charles Barkley? 
no championships, but you're one of the best players of all time. I would rather be Robert Ory. Yeah, give honest. me the wins, man. I mean, seven, the guy won seven times, and he was a key piece for all of them. Yeah, it's not like he rode the, the bench the entire right, right, right. time. Right. Big shot Bob. Yeah. I remember those Spurs teams, man. Steve I Kerr. Those Lakers teams. They would bring Steve Kerr off the bench to drain a couple of threes and then sit him right back on the bench because he couldn't guard anybody. Yep. Good times. From 662, for no other reason, Eli deserves to be a Hall of Famer for preventing Tom Brady from winning eight Super Bowls. I'm sensing some hate for yeah, there's Tom a little Brady. Bit What's of up hate there? Uh, he makes it with no problem. Kelso in Ocean Springs is. Uh, uh, gloating about giving us the stat of the day so far. He did good. Good job, Kelsey. Caleb and Olive Branch with a good question. We're going to have to do some research on this, though. I don't know if I have this off the top of my head. Are there many Super Bowl MVPs not in the Hall of Fame? On this note, I'm going to bring you a stat, by the way, talking about uh, number one overall draft pick quarterbacks and their success in the NFL. It probably won't surprise you, but it did me. Not good. Talented guys, some of them, but as far as winning championships, recent history tells you the number one overall pick struggles at winning at a high level in the right. NFL. I've already got the, the answers here. Uh, Jake Scott was MVP of Super Bowl seven, not in the Hall of Fame. He was a safety for the Dolphins. Um, 1978, there were co-MVPs. Randy White is in. Harvey Martin is out. Jim Plunkett is not in the uh, Hall of Fame. 1981 Super Bowl MVP, quarterback of the Raiders. Uh, Phil Simms is not in. Doug Williams is not in. Otis Anderson is not in. Mark Rippon is not in. So it's kind of Larry, frequent. It's yeah, Larry Brown. God, who could forget him being the MVP of the Super Bowl? My God. Uh, <laughs> Desmond Howard, not in. You could probably Dex add another one in Joe Flacco. And, well, I mean, he's still playing though, and I don't know that he'll get in. That Super Bowl right. got him a job he didn't deserve in Denver, and then he's never made a Pro Bowl. Yeah, you, obviously now we're getting into players who are a little more modern. Dexter Jackson, uh, he won't get into the whole Hall of Fame though, and then now we're getting into players who've just recently. Deion Branch, not a Hall of Famer. Heinz Ward might be a Hall of Famer, and then you get Peyton, Eli, Santonio Holmes, and now we're into the people who are still playing. So yeah. From the 662, I've heard it said you can't tell the story of the NFL in the 70s without Kenny Stabler. Same goes for Eli in the 2000s. A um, lot of texts coming in. It's hard to keep up with so many. Really glad you guys are listening to us and engage with us on a Friday. Uh, from the 601, look at all of Dan Marino's interceptions more than Eli. Laces out, Dan. <laughs> That's why Marino got in, his performance in Ace Ventura. This is an interesting take. Rings trump all in every sport. Tim Tebow wouldn't be considered one of the greatest in college if he didn't win titles with Florida. I don't agree with that. He won the Heisman the year they went they went eight and four. That doesn't really translate for baseball either. Yeah. It was the Browns. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, ben McAdoo interviewed with the Browns. Does Manning's conduct and character help his Hall of Fame bid from the 662? Absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely does, yeah. If he was um, an idiot off the field, had some trouble, maybe ran into the law a little bit, got arrested, maybe there was a scandal involved, did some HGH, deflated some footballs. Just kidding. You um, know, had steroids shipped to your wife's house, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Which gets swept right under the rug. Anyway, no, it, it would be more difficult. 
his character, absolutely the way he's handled being in New York and the criticism and stuff, that that helps. I don't know if it's make or break, but it's going to make it easier. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's going to get in. He's going to get in. Anybody who thinks he's not going to get in is, is wrong. First ballot, it just depends. It also depends on who else is in the class with him, you know? You just never know. Lonnie, we'll get to your question in a second. We teased it at the end of the show yesterday. I, I want to get to... Um, this number one overall quarterback conversation. We'll get to that next. I want to get into Mississippi State women's hoops and also look ahead at Mississippi State, Oklahoma, and Ole Miss, Georgia. But I do want to get to that. We teased the Astros cheating scandal. A new layer came out yesterday about player immunity. These two guys have pretty strong opinions about it. We will get to that at some point this afternoon. So I, I hear you, Lonnie. We will get to it, I promise. It's a really good question that we will get to. Um... Eli on the first ballot. He's a Brady Buster, an all-time NFL salary champion. Oh, man. Only five two-time MVPs, and all of them are in or will be in. That's from the 662. Chris in Starkville wants a dumb Eli face to be his statue or his bust in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) Now, that would be fantastic. Oh, man, I would love it. Sports Talk Mississippi, you want to be a part of the conversation, you can. 601-879-4395. Give us a a text, and uh, we're glad you are with us. Number one overall quarterbacks, not good in recent history. wonder why that is. We'll discuss that next. And then, of course, like I said, turn the page to basketball. Sports Talk Mississippi, really glad you're with us on a Friday afternoon. We will be right back. A few of your tweets, and then I will bring up this first overall quarterback thing. Mick says, same exact career in Philly, Cleveland, Miami, Cincinnati, etc. Then it probably takes four or five years. But Mike Mick, excuse me, thinks that playing in New York City, the behemoth media market, makes him a no out first ballot. He thinks the location plays some kind of factor into his selection into the Hall of Fame. It's an interesting angle. Sean says, Chuck Howley, only Super Bowl MVP on a losing team, is not in the Hall of Fame. Cowboys linebacker in Super Bowl, is that five? Is that what the V is? I don't know Roman numerals. I wish they would just put regular numbers next to them. Yeah. It's confusing, man. It's just give me the number or the year. I'm fine with the year as well. Super Bowl that happened in 1994 is better than Super Bowl 30, whatever. Just my opinion. And Brooks says if Kurt Warner is in, then Eli has to be. Speaking of Eli Manning, here's a stat for you. Only four quarterbacks that have been drafted number one overall have won a Super Bowl since 1980. John Elway, Troy Aikman, and both of the Manning brothers. That's it. Number one quarterback overall since 1980. But let's look at the modern era. Of these quarterbacks, who is the next one to do it? So Eli was drafted number one overall in 2004. Alex Smith was drafted number one overall to San Francisco in 2005. Uh, Saw a picture a few months ago of the, the leg that he's rehabbing Uh, God bless him, has a long way to go still before he can get back on the football field and play, but his intention is to come back. 
2007, already out of the league, Jamarcus Russell in Oakland. Uh, famously, the Raiders drafted him even though their head coach, Lane Kiffin, didn't want them to. Matt Stafford in 2009 to Detroit. Sam Bradford to St. Louis. I mean, he's done. Uh, in 2010, Cam Newton to the Panthers in 11. Andrew Luck, he's done in Indianapolis in 12. Jameis Winston in 15 to Tampa. Jared no. Goff in 16 to L.A. Baker Mayfield to Cleveland, obviously, and Kyler Murray last year. Go ahead and pencil in Joe Burrow as well. But that's a list of uh, not busts per se because Cam Newton was a hit. If you're talking about drafting a quarterback that helps your team win games, the Panthers hit on Cam Newton. But no Super Bowl. No Super Bowl on that list since Eli Manning in 2004. Why do you think that is, number one? And number two, who's the next one? Or two will there be remember. a next one? Two thing, one thing to remember is uh, Elway and Eli did not win Super Bowls with the teams that drafted them. That's a, a good point. Yeah. I mean, you know, and both of them basically forced trades. Sort of, a, sort of an interesting lineage there. Um, Think he last signed a one-day deal with the Chargers to retire properly? I guess that window's already passed. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I, uh, <laughs> it's probably golf, is it not, just with the yeah, infrastructure around say, yeah. him? No one else really even seems to be close. Yeah, golf. I mean, them not making the playoffs this year was a bit of an upset. I mean, nobody saw the 49ers, I think, becoming what they were. You know, the Rams, they were in the Super Bowl a season ago, so he was he's already been to one. They have the talent around him. He's got a good coach. I, I, yeah, golf is probably the easy answer for this. Do they have – I mean, you said the infrastructure around him, and it is true. But did this past season tell you anything about Sean McVay and his handshake leading to people getting jobs? Are, are you <laughs> questioning uh, the Rams' future? And by the way, they don't have a whole lot of draft capital to build up a roster for whatever that may be worth to you. Are you well, out on them, or do you think this was just a down year and they're still poised to do really good things? Just a little things? bit of a down year. I think they're going to be okay. They still have a lot of talent on that on that team, it, and, I, and I think a, Goff is a really good quarterback. It's incredibly hard to win consistently in the NFL, and they're in the best division in football. I think they're okay. Yeah, yeah and the other thing, with the Seahawks, I mean, I love Russell Wilson, but that team around him is not great. It, it would not surprise me if they, if they took a step back. And the 49ers look like they're going to be there for a while. But at the same time, there's some flukiness to the 49ers going from picking second last year to being in the Super Bowl. So would it take would it be the biggest of surprises next year if they would drop back to nine and seven or something like that and didn't make the playoffs? It just that's just how it goes. I don't think that would be surprising at all. A couple text here. Alex Smith, Cam Goff all made the Super Bowl and stunk it up. Yeah. From the six oh one. Big Ben and Rivers drafted behind Eli, but will go into the Hall of Fame before him. And he's also asking uh, do both get in? They'll be on the same ballot. Yeah, they'll both get in. Roethlisberger before Rivers, because as we've talked about, rings. Rivers is this generation's Marino. Watching he's, him he's, throw, he does not look like he's supposed to be should, a good NFL quarterback. He should quarterback. be any good, yeah. His, his motion is awful. But he has all the numbers. He's got plenty of wins, but he doesn't have a championship. He's never even been to the Super Bowl. At least Marino got one of those. He got to one Super Bowl. Then he just happened to run into the guy that, before Tom Brady, I would have told you is the greatest quarterback of all time in Joe Montana. Speaking of Rivers, so somebody suggests that 
he picked up his family and they moved to Florida, by the way, to be closer to their extended family. That was the reason. He's a free agent this year. Kind of sounds like the Chargers might be making a deal for or signing another quarterback. Maybe that's wrong. That's kind of what it feels like, though. There was mention of him, at least in passing, conversation about the potential of him signing with Tampa. Saw that. Bruce Arians has done it a couple of times with veteran quarterbacks. Yeah, there was Palmer, Warner. Warner. Yeah. Or was he, no, he, I guess he wasn't Warner. Was he not the coach? I guess not. Yeah. Was that Ken Wizard Hunt? Yeah, that's exactly who that okay. was. But he did he did resurrect. You got the last bit of juice out of Carson Palmer, basically. Imagine what a quarterback that doesn't throw the ball to the other team twice a 30 game. Times. 30 times. Uh, could do with that group of receivers. That's the best yeah. receiver group in the NFL. They just don't you know, get the credit because their quarterback's throwing yeah. it to other people. Plenty of talent, but Jameis Winston is a train wreck. I was today years old when I learned that Bruce Arians had two separate stops at Mississippi State. That's correct. He was offensive coordinator for Jackie Sherrill. And for uh, he would coach under uh, Rocky Falker, I believe. In fairness, I was one to three years old when he was the OC at Mississippi State, but still. His offense at Mississippi State does not look like his offense that he runs in the NFL. You're, you ever wonder who calls the plays under, under Jackie Sherrill? Just go look at all the different offensive coordinators he had and how similar the offense was. Man, Rivers and Tampa. That would suck for the Saints in that division. It would. I mean, it makes another... Good team. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with the Panthers, but uh, I mean, the Falcons, the Falcons are just a weird team. They have talent. They just, for whatever reason, and then them keeping Dan Quinn was a mistake. But I mean, won't they be in the same position next season? It feels like they're just going to be right there again. Yeah. It, you know, the Falcons and, uh, and Mississippi State had some similarities there in terms of the state pulled the trigger. And got got a new coach in, and now they have excitement. The Falcons couldn't bring themselves to do it, and so they look like they're just going to be right back there in November or December again, talking about firing Dan Quinn. Sports Talk Mississippi, I've, I've been teasing it enough today. I promise you, up against a hard break here, we will come back, give you a, a little Mississippi State women's hoops action. Bizarre ending. I don't know if it's bizarre. It's more uh, maybe, hey, Dad, they, they came back down to earth weren't playing their best basketball last night, switched defenses, which JT was telling me earlier um, is something that they never do. Went zone last night, completely shut down Vanderbilt, maybe slept walk for the first three quarters, ended up winning dominantly uh, last night. So we'll get to that. Also preview uh, Ole Miss and Georgia, chance to stop the bleeding for the Rebels in Mississippi State, Oklahoma. Just an opportunity to get a win that would look good on a resume for the Bulldogs this weekend. Um, would you call it a free shot? I think it's kind of a free shot. It's a game you don't have to win by any stretch of the imagination. So, a loss will not hurt you, but a win will help I, you. I think it's a free I, shot. I disagree with you entirely. Oh, you this. do? Okay. This is this is a big game for Mississippi State. They need this win. Ooh, I like that. So we'll get to all that coming up. A couple more of your texts before we turn the page from the 662. If Phillip Rivers would have played for the Giants... Would he have won the two Super Bowls and the MVPs? A butterfly effect question we'll never know the answer to. And finally, 
from a different 662. Hey, Dad, you're mostly correct, but Watson Brown called his own plays and made Sleepy a legend. That's true. And some of your guys' memory is unbelievable. Maybe it's a, a me problem. I, I can't remember stuff that happened this past football season. And you guys are rattling off stuff from 1994. It's impressive. Or maybe I'm just an idiot. One or, or the other. One or the other. Probably the other, but hey, whatever. We'll talk hoops next at Sports Talk Mississippi. You want to be a part of the conversation? You can. 601-879-4395 on the ceasefire text line. And remember, all guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Hoops next. Stick around. Try this on for size. The top 10 Mississippi State women's Bulldogs were in Nashville last night. We're leading by 10 after the first quarter, 24-14. Then turned around and were up one at the half after losing the second quarter, 7-16. to 16. Then they lose the third quarter by 5, 15-20. So Mississippi State entering the fourth quarter last night, hey dad, was down by four. And they proceeded to win the fourth frame 22-2 en route to a 16-point victory in Nashville last night. You see it all the time, right? Happens every day. Yeah, they played a uh, a tremendous game, and you sort of mentioned it uh, going into the uh, the break there that you know Vic Schaefer is to man defense as I am to Coca Cola. I'm not drinking any Pepsi, and he's normally not going with the zone. Um, but something wasn't working last night, so MSU made a switch to a matchup zone. They forced eight turnovers in the second or in the fourth quarter. There, uh, they were they were led by uh, Aliyah Matharu, who just had a fantastic game, the true freshman. She, the, the true freshman for MSU were really starting to blossom a, a little bit, and that's that's sort of dangerous. Wait, for, so Vic you know. Schaefer recruited well? Can't believe I it. I know, right? I know, right? And I don't know if you saw this, but uh, both State and Ole Miss, uh, both of their five-star signees were named uh, McDonald's All-Americans. I don't know the girl at uh, at Ole Miss, but State Madison Hayes uh, is, is, is second straight year for MSU to have a McDonald's All-American uh, signee. Uh, but yeah, you know that was a game that State was in danger of losing. You know, you, you, I, I was—I didn't ask him about this on Tuesday, but you know, you play at South Carolina, huge game. You're probably your biggest rival in terms of you know those are the two teams that sort of battle it out atop the SEC. Sunday is Ole Miss. You know, your biggest rival. Period. And in the middle there is a trip to Vanderbilt. I mean, that just smelled like a trap game. And through three quarters, it looked like that was going to be the case. But State made the adjustments they had to make and, and got the win. It's four quarters there, right? Like it's not the halves. Yeah. Yep. So that's yeah, the women, two the points women, in women do four. Ten, two points in ten minutes. Could you imagine being a Vanderbilt fan sitting in the stands and watching that? Well, yeah, because you're going to the fourth. Like we got a chance to do this. We we could do this, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's over. Oh man! So uh, win for them last night. JT was telling me earlier, you know, JT of the JT show that. Uh, Vic switched to zone in the fourth, and that's what yeah. did it. And that's something he never does. Is that he accurate? is not he is not a fan of the zone defense? And I asked him about that. I said, "How difficult was that decision?" Because I mean, it would be like Mike Leach saying, "Okay, we need to run the football." I mean, it, that's that's what we're talking about here. And he just said, "Look, I want to win. You know, winning is the most important thing. And if I think making a move, you know, my, he basically says his ego is not so great that if it's not working, he won't fix it." So. 
yeah, I mean, that's a that when they went to the zone, I was just like, wow, you know, that's 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 like the last ace in the deck, basically. And uh, but it worked. It worked for Mississippi State, and now, you know, that's something that you can put on film. And people have to be prepared for it, but at the same time, they're not going to expect you to go to it, so you might be able to catch some teams off guard. Speaking of Mississippi State basketball, I called the game a free shot. Hey, that disagreed with me strongly. Thinks it's a game that they've got to win in Norman coming up tomorrow. Oklahoma is 12-6. and They're fifth in the Big 12 right now. Their losses came to Stanford at home in a blowout way back at the beginning of the season. They lost a close game at Wichita State, lost a relatively close game at Creighton, They've lost at Iowa State, at home against Kansas, and a very close loss at the number one team in the country, Baylor. So, not a free shot, hey, Dad. A game they have to have. Why do you think that is? State has four Quadrant One games left on the schedule. At Arkansas, at Florida, at Kentucky. Those are tough, tough games for Mississippi State. I know State just beat Arkansas, but playing at Arkansas is tough. This is State's best chance to get a Quadrant One win. And they need that for the resume, I think. I feel like they need that. And Oklahoma, you know, they're 12 and 6 on the year. They're not a whole lot different than state. And you're playing your absolute best basketball right this second. Um, Reggie Perry is playing at an incredibly high level. So is the rest of the team around him. Nick Weatherspoon seems to have rounded back into form. I think state needs to get this win. This is a good resume win. You'd have a good week. You would have got beaten two, uh, what I think Arkansas was 32nd and Oklahoma's 53rd in the net the last time I checked. So two good wins. This is, I feel like state needs this game. And you do that by continuing to just force feed Reggie Perry the basketball, right? Well, that's what Ben Hallen told us today. Is you know they they realize their offense works best when it goes down to the low block to get into Reggie Perry's hands, and he can either score, get fouled, or find somebody. You know he's a, he's a good enough passer that it, he can pass over these double teams that he's been receiving, and guys like Carter, Weatherspoon, Molinar, Stewart are hitting are hitting their perimeter shots. Woodard too. So, yeah, I mean, the offense needs to flow through Reggie Perry. They've been doing that these past few games, and well, what's been happening? Reggie Perry's racked up three straight 2010 games, and, you know, SEC, reigning SEC player of the week, and if he has another game like he had on, uh, I guess that was Wednesday, if he has another game like that on Saturday, he might go back-to-back on that. I mean, he's just playing at an incredibly high level right now, and, and Ben Hallen thinks he can get a higher level out of him. He thinks he's not any, he hasn't gotten anywhere near his ceiling. Uh, looking across the SEC now, you've got Ole Miss at Georgia. Georgia, a similar standing in the SEC, just 1-4 and four in league play, but the schedule uh, been as tough as possible. Uh, so they started league play. Actually, the, the game before won at Memphis. Then they turned around and had to host Kentucky in a game in which they lost, had to go to Auburn in a game in which they lost, beat the brakes off of Tennessee at home in their third SEC game, and lost at Mississippi State by approximately 5,000 points and then turned around and lost at Kentucky. So, Rippy, uh, not a good start for Georgia, but a team that has played probably the most difficult schedule in league play, and uh, in comes Ole Miss, who is just bleeding right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. I think Ole Miss, you know, they're very – two, I guess, seem like pretty vulnerable teams. Georgia, I can't really get a gauge on if they're good or if they're not good. They've had some good moments, had some not-so-good moments. I think it's a winnable game for Ole Miss, but I don't think they're going to win because, again, the way they've played basketball the last two and a half weeks would make it incredibly difficult for them to get a road win. How can they? I think what, Georgia, is a, Georgia is a good, bad team. They have the ability to play well at times, but they're not good. If that makes sense, as opposed to a bad, good team 
which is a team that plays terribly at times, but they're actually pretty good. What's the formula State was a, for State was a, a bad, good team early in the season. Yeah. How do they pull it off, Rippy? besides Brian Tyree dropping 55? I, I mean, I don't know how really to give it a realistic roadmap. I guess it would be rim-protected, defend better, and then you have to have a Blake Henson or a K.J. Buffin or someone like that make shots. I mean, I, I guess Devontae Sheward fall in that category too, but they're going to need 15 to 20 from someone else besides besides Bree and Tyree, and they're going to have to defend a, a heck of a lot better. Uh, we talked about this earlier today uh, before the show started. Kermit Davis's comments that they're still a really good practice team and that the, the energy's positive and they're practicing well, and uh, you think that's uh, more of a sign, more of confirmation of what this team actually is, which is simply just not a good one, right? I think he's just saying they haven't quit. And that they're just not very good is what that is. A diplomatic way of saying that? Sure. Around the SEC this weekend, the SEC Big 12 Challenge is coming up, so not a whole lot of sports. I I know you're not watching the Pro Bowl because nobody's watching the Pro Bowl. Um, Good basketball coming up this weekend in SEC land. Missouri has to go to West Virginia, Iowa State at Auburn, LSU is at Texas, again, Mississippi State at Oklahoma Interesting game in Lawrence now, especially after uh, the suspensions in the fight. Tennessee goes to number three, Kansas, Oklahoma State at A&M. TCU at Arkansas could be a really good game there in Fayetteville on ESPN2 at 3 o'clock. Ole Miss is at Georgia. They're not involved, obviously. Vanderbilt's at South Carolina. Uh, Those are the four SEC teams not in the mix here. Kentucky at Texas Tech should be a great one at 5 o'clock on ESPN. Kansas State at Alabama. And number one, Baylor going to Florida, who's playing better as of late. So a pretty good slate of games coming up this weekend, guys. Yeah, I mean, this is a good weekend, you know, with the, with, with the challenge. And that Tennessee-Kansas uh, game, some people were giving me some grief yesterday about, you know, oh, State won't be able to beat Tennessee. Uh, Ken Palm has State as a, as a five-point favorite, in that, or has them winning by five in, in their analytics right now. But if Tennessee can go to Kansas and even even a you know a lesser Kansas team due to suspension and get that win, that's a pretty impressive win. Tennessee's playing better since they got a couple of guys eligible, but they are certainly beatable. I, I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't see State as an underdog if I mean maybe like a point or two if depending on where the games play, but I, I would consider those very so. very much even. Yeah, the game is in Starville. That's just my gauge from watching them play the other night. Of course, about twenty five minutes into that game, it became a became a complete farce. But they were they were pretty good. <laughs> from the six six two, here's the deal with Georgia. In order to beat Georgia, whoever guards Anthony Edwards number five has to match up with him well. If not, he'll go for thirty. Rippy, is that uh, responsibility on Brian Tyree's shoulders? I, I, I think Edwards is too big for that. I think. I mean, this was yeah, a game a where you really need the guy there. Yeah, you. This is a game where you really kind of need a Luis Rodriguez. I think it's probably. I, mean, I guess if you can trust Blake Henson on him, I'm not really sure. I mean, this would be Luis Rodriguez's assignment to a T. Stephen asks, "What's the difference between last year's and this year's Ole Miss team?" So I've got 20 seconds to tell you. Basically, it comes down to this: Terrence Davis was a legit NBA player, and uh, the loss wasn't given enough credit for that team, and they are very weak on the block and you didn't get progression from K.J. Buffin and Blake Henson. I think that's kind of what you're looking at here with Ole Miss. We'll be right back. Uh, new defensive line coach in Oxford. We'll tell you who that is coming up. 
This is an interesting text here from somebody in the 662. Georgia reminds me of LSU with Ben Simmons. So they've got a bona fide NBA star and just can't win games. Interesting angle there. I would say that LSU team was a lot more talented. They were just hampered by possibly the worst coach in college basketball at that time in Johnny Jones. That team should have easily been in the NCAA tournament, whereas this Georgia team, they're not, they're not as good. That, that LSU team would beat this Georgia team. But it, the, the, the comparison itself of they're just sort of led by this one guy is apt, but I think LSU had more around Simmons than Georgia has around Edwards. You know what Ben Simmons doesn't have? Uh, more than two three-pointers? More than two three-pointers. Still doesn't have that jump shot. But uh, news we teased right before the break, uh, Ole Miss has hired a new defensive line coach completing Lane Kiffin's staff, and two members of that staff were at Mississippi State this past football season. Deke Adams, Mississippi State's defensive line coach, or former defensive line coach, I should say, has been officially hired. The university announced, I think the first on it, Rippy helped me out because I don't know. Anyway, news broke. Ah, about 20 minutes ago, and the school has made it official. Uh, so he was only at Mississippi State for one year. So, hey, Dad, you said uh, not a whole lot that you can really gauge on what kind of a defensive line coach he is, considering who he was replacing and the fact that he was only there for a few months. Yeah, I mean, I thought that, you know, State was sort of hampered on the defensive line this year. Obviously, when you lose Jeff Simmons and Montez Sweat, that's a tough pill to swallow. Then your, your guy you had... Pitzled as a starter, Lee Autry is one of the guys who was suspended all season long. So, you know, they ended up starting, in, in, especially in the interior, two uh, redshirt freshmen, Jaden Crumney and Fabian Lovett. I thought those guys got better as the year went along. I thought that, you know, for the most part, Adams was a, was, was a good teacher of the game. I thought he was a pretty good recruiter. I think this is a solid hire for Ole Miss. You know, just for me, you know, I, I don't know about Freddie Roach as much as, as Rippy will, but I don't know. It feels like a pretty similar uh, sort of a like-for-like swap there. What do you think, Rippy? Yeah, I mean, very difficult to gauge. Obviously, nothing there very long, but sure. I, I mean, Freddie Roach seemed like a pretty good coach, decent recruiter. So, yeah, I mean, I would think it's a fairly even swap. So, Lane Kiffin staff, I guess, now complete again. Um, you hope, yeah, you would hope uh, for whatever it may be worth. Um, at South Carolina, when he was there, they recruited at a high level, uh, specifically on the defensive line. Um, Jadavion Clowney actually uh, was a defensive lineman under his watch, but multiple guys, four-star blue-chip defensive linemen when he was there, and they have not recruited at the same level since. Now you can possibly attribute that to some coaching turnover and whatnot, um, but yeah, so known recruiter from Mississippi, all in all pretty solid hire there for Ole Miss. So the staff for now, as these guys said, uh, is complete with uh, Deke Adams on Lane Kiffin's staff. We also had uh, news become official earlier on a former Alabama offensive lineman, graduate transfer, hey, Dad, uh, mm-hmm. officially becoming a member of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Yeah, I think we talked about this last week, and it's it's something that's been rumored and basically been in the works for, for quite a while. But uh, Scott Lashley, who played at West Point High School, uh, committed to Alabama and signed with them out of high school, is now back in Starville. As a grad transfer, he'll provide some O-line depth. They should have two transfers making uh, appearances next year on the on the line with Scott Lashley and then LSU's uh, former LSU Tiger Cole Smith, who uh, was just a regular old-fashioned transfer. He sat out this past season. Both of those guys will provide some depth. State's offensive line is very interesting to me because 
you got some some high end talent there. Both Smith and uh, Lashley were four star guys. Charles Cross, who redshirted last year, five star guy. Cutravius Johnson, Dollar Bill, was a four star guy. So you've got some uh, some real talent there to work with for uh, with the new offensive line coach Mason Miller. Uh, I'm interested to see you know how guys who were recruited to run a power scheme will, will you know work into this. But uh, there, there's definitely some some there's some Jimmy and Joes there for to work with. Get a text here from uh, Luke Johnson, friend of the show. He said Deke played at Southern Miss in the mid '90s with Tyrone Nix. Speaking of Southern Miss, uh, yeah. two wins in a row now. Uh, yeah. They beat UAB last night, and I mean, we talked about it when it happened, and um, Luke did the same when he came on the show. It might take some time. There might be some growing pains with Southern Miss basketball, but um, two wins in a row, good direction for for Southern Miss. And shout out to the Golden Eagles for getting uh, the W last night. Good to see after the. Rough starting conference play, and uh, thanks to Luke for texting me about Deke and triggering uh, the memory of uh, Southern Miss winning last night. So pretty good night other, in hoops in the state last night. Yeah. One other Mississippi State note I want to get to, uh, and I, I hope Pat Forty is listening, uh, because Mississippi State did have a uh, a defection from the uh, signing class. Uh, JUCO defensive lineman Benjamin Key uh, will now head to Missouri. Mississippi State let him out of his letter of intent, and he'll go play for the uh, the Tigers this fall. Uh, so, you know, no problems, no worries, no fouls, no need for virtue signaling. Uh, Mississippi State accommodated Key with no problems. All right. Five o'clock hour coming up. We've got the college football fix coming your way. Ed Orgeron, big fat new raise, and uh, deservedly so because he just went 15 0. But man, he's still got a ton to replace. We'll give you the details next. Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borky. Got Brian Hayden and Brian Scott Rippey with you as well. You want to be a part of the show? You can on the Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. And all guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back at Sports Talk Mississippi. Five o'clock hour with you at Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. It is great to be with you. And by the way, I just noticed something. It's five o'clock and it's not dark outside. We've turned the corner. No more miserable 445 sunsets. Spring is almost here. Baseball on the horizon. We'll start previewing Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Southern Miss baseball Starting uh, really at the beginning of next week is when we'll start really diving into baseball and uh, really looking forward to that. As always, we joke all the time, one state over from us in Alabama, if they did baseball all spring, they'd get pulled off the air. If we don't do baseball all spring, we will get pulled off the air. You guys love it, and uh, I cannot wait to bring you some of our preview stuff. We're starting early next week. But first, I want to start the 5 o'clock hour off today on this Friday Uh, with a joke courtesy of Mike Leach. See, this is why I I love this guy so much. He tweeted uh, a few minutes ago, What did our parents do to kill boredom before the internet? I asked my 26 brothers and sisters, and they didn't know either. (laughs) Uh, Coach, you're the best. I didn't know Coach Leach was Catholic as well. (laughs) oh man anyway here we go 5 o'clock hour coach Ed Orgeron got a fat new contract uh, for the college football fix presented by Ford and your Mississippi Ford dealers Ed Orgeron has agreed to a new contract extension worth more than 7 million dollars a year 
which runs through the 2026 season. The new six-year agreement comes, of course, after they won the national championship and went 15-0 by beating Clemson 42-25 in the national championship game in New Orleans. Contract language, which remains subject to approval by the board, it's going to get approved, let's be honest, uh, calls for a base salary of $6 million plus various performance-based related bonuses, and there's also a life insurance policy tied into it as well. So Coach Ed Orgeron went from $4 million to $7 million because he went 15-0. and Big, big money for the big man on the bayou. And like I said, well-deserved. I mean, you win a national title, you get to go up to national title pay. Uh, I mean, you think about kind of, kind of bargain LSU was getting last year uh, with, with Orgeron now. I mean, they're probably still getting a little bit of a bargain if he can keep them at this level, which, you know, the way they recruit – I think they can. They just they need they're gonna have. I think this year could be a little bit of a transition year, and by transition they might go nine and three. The horror. Uh, How dare they? But going forward, there's no reason to think this this program isn't about to. I, I really do believe that they can they can overtake Alabama in the next couple of years. Uh, we get asked about um, head coach salaries in the SEC. Richard wants to know if it's uh, more than Nick Saban. It is not more than Nick Saban. So Ed Orgeron last year uh, made $4 million in a base salary. That's near the bottom, uh, believe it or not, of the SEC. Joe Moorhead was dead last in the SEC at $3.05 million. Barry Odom made the exact same number. Matt Luke just ahead of them at three point one. Derek Mason reportedly at three point three. Then you had Jeremy Pruitt at three eight, and then Ed Orgeron at $4 million. That's right. Chad Morris, Will Muschamp, made as much, if not more, money than Ed Orgeron last season. They have good agents. Well, good agent. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> the agent, Nick Saban, was first in the SEC at $8.7 million. Jimbo at his gaudy 7.5. Kirby Smart and uh, Gus Malzahn make on just under 7 it's um, a pretty rich group in yeah, the SEC. It's not going down anytime soon, I don't think. No, no, it is not. I wonder, I imagine LSU is going to do whatever it takes, but, I mean, they did have the most expensive defensive coordinator in college football last year and two OCs. I wonder if they have that kind of financial commitment this go-around. Like, are they, are they going to... Give Ed Orgeron three million more dollars a year, and then still give him two and a half for a DC, and then whatever Ensminger and Joe Brady made combined on the offense. I wonder if they're still willing to do that. I imagine they are. They've got the money to do it. Yeah, that's true. It's not, they're not. They're not hurting for it. I mean, to replace Aranda, don't you think they have to go out and find one of the? I mean, could they go out and you know, Bo Pelini's name came out, which I was I laughed at. But, I mean, that's a school – there were a lot of talk about MSU and Todd Grantham. LSU could make a play for Todd Grantham. They could do that. They could give him 2.5, 2.6, and he would be probably interested in doing it. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of who the big-name coordinators are. but That is crazy to me, they'll, a coordinator making 2.6. Yeah, yeah. You had one yesterday get 2.8, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele at Auburn. That's wow, man. Is he is he worth it? I know he's good. So that's the thing. Like, but is he worth it? 
he was really good this year, but he had a ton of talent. What are they, what are they going to do next year? Imagine if after uh, the 2018 season when State has the number one uh, defense that they just bump jo- Bob Shoop up to $2.8 million. Which is almost yeah. what Moorhead Which, was making. Well, yeah, it was just, just for an example. Or just even gave him, you know, a 100 or 200% raise, put him at 1.7, 1.8. Well, you had three first-round picks on that dra- that defense. Not that, that Shoup didn't do a good job. I've always said that he did. But, you know, let's see what he does this year when you, got, when you don't have Derek Brown and those guys running things for you. It is good to see. I, I mean, I guess we talked about this the day he was hired, but uh, for Mississippi State to finally, you know, wake up and – start paying with the big boys Uh, because I mean Joe Moorhead's salary being last in the SEC and his assistant pool being as bad as it was that's not the case with Leach anymore I mean Leach is making five the assistant pool is up there now finally committing to actually winning and that's not why Joe Moorhead didn't don't get that confused he did not do a good job at Mississippi State point blank period it's not debatable did not do a good job there lost control of the program It, it the the move was justified. But if you want to win at a high level, you, you had to commit more money or else it was just lip service. And they they finally are paying with the big boys and maybe now they'll actually play with them too. And on top of that, I think they've, you know, they've made a commitment to uh, extend or, or putting in more as far as uh, recruiting staff, analyst staff, things like that. So it's, it's not just the, uh, the 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 on the field staff that's that's getting some bumps. It's it's the the recruiting staff and everybody else that you know really sort of drive things. To be honest with you, I do think there needs to be a cap on off the field staff in some way, shape, or form because it's complete BS that Alabama can pay for fifty staffers, whereas Ole Miss and Mississippi State just can't. I think that's BS. That, oh, but you're not can't. a business, so it's hard to put a cap. I mean, I get, agree with what you're saying, but I don't think they'd ever be able to do that. Why not? And I don't, I don't. I don't think that there's. It's not that they can't. They choose not to. Alabama would always do whatever they could to have more than. Well, Ole that's Miss true. But Microsoft State. is going to have more than startable computers too. I mean, they're that's just, right. That's just how but, life works. But college but athletics can, you, is not supposed to be a business, right? That's what they claim. Well, so if you're going well, to be in, well. in the spirit of competition, um, make coaching staffs equal. Both schools or all schools can only sign eighty-five guys. All schools can only have 10 on-field assistants. Why is it the staff can just be however big anybody uh, wants it to be? Oh, you're saying a cap on the number. I thought you were a cap on the money spent. Like, no. On, oh, no. I was about to no, say, no, I was no, like, no, that's no. a bad, I was like, not a bad idea. That would be impossible to do. I see what you're saying. I, I agree with you there. Yeah, the Butch Joneses of the world, definitely not coaching on the sidelines because they're an analyst and they can't coach on the sidelines, even though he's talking to players and has a play sheet and is coaching on the sidelines. Eliminating that kind of crap, or at least making it to where it's level. Because I think that's BS. That doesn't bother me as much. I I don't know why. I mean, it just doesn't. Greg and Jackson, level the playing field. And in college sports, it never is going to be level. I know that. Everybody knows that. But still... There are things like that that you can do to at least um, make the old misses and Mississippi states of the world at least in part more competitive with Alabama, who has unlimited funds. But that's just me. Although it is obvious that college administrators have no idea what they're doing or what really goes on. For example, uh, this came out earlier today. 
that the Big Ten Conference, for example, is proposing a new rule that coaches must make recruiting calls and do on elect all electronic correspondence on a school-issued and purchased device. Sure. That might help some people. But how stupid, how stupid are you? You're either stupid or you're ignorant to what is really going on. Because even if you implement this rule, you think they're really going to stop using burner phones? I mean, how how stupid are you? Or wake up to what's really going on. Like, make that rule. That's fine. Nobody's going to follow it. That's... I can't figure out how smart people in positions of high power have no idea what's going on. Sports Talk Mississippi. John and Greenwood's going to lead us off this segment at Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Riffey with you. John wants to talk baseball, so John, we are going to talk some baseball for you. Long text. He says, if there's any time, can you discuss the fact that Ole Miss will be placing replacing all but two position players this year and the talent they brought in were top prospects in their states and top 15 in the nation at their positions? The guys that are coming in live up to their expectations. Do, does Ole Miss have one of the best one-two punch pitchers on Friday and Saturday with Austin Miller closing uh, that Ole Miss has had? Does Ole Miss have an equal shot at uh, equal or better shot at passing last year's team as far as making a Super Regional and being one win away from Omaha. said the schedule is the hardest he's ever seen, starting out with the number one team in the nation, and they play every SEC team that is ranked in the preseason. So, Rippy, that's a, a lot there, but replacing all the position players except for two. So where do they go from there? And what do you think that's... about their one-two punch uh, on the mound? We'll start with those. I get what he's saying, but that's not necessarily true because you're going to have Servideo just at a different position. You're going to have Bench either at second base or in the outfield, and then you're going to have uh, Kevin Graham DHing and Tyler Keenan at third base more than likely. So, I mean, you, you've got more coming back to you. I think it's really just mainly just the outfield and possibly second base depending on what they do with Bench. Um, so... <laughs> I mean, no, I do not think this team would be as good as a year ago. I think they've got I think they've got a chance to pitch it pretty well. I don't know about one two punch because Gunnar Hogland largely did not pitch very well last year. Uh, Doug Nikhazy quite good. I think Derek Diamond and possibly Drew McDaniel will have a sh- I mean, I say have a shot. One of those two guys will fill out the weekend rotation of a pair of freshman right-handers, but I you know, they'll they'll have some new coming arms. You got Taylor Broadway, Austin Miller back. I just I don't necessarily see it. I mean, if that happened, you would have Dunhurst, Leatherwood, Elko, one or two other guys really, really take a jump at the plate this year and a huge one. I say take a jump. The newcomers have to come in and obviously produce at you know a high, high caliber SEC type level. So I think they have a chance to be a decent team. But the problem is, is the SEC is so good this year. You're going to have. I was talking to somebody about this. Say you're going to have very quality baseball teams in the SEC. Like there, there will be two, uh, two-ish, maybe three NCAA tournament caliber teams that go 11 and 19 or 12 and 18 in SEC play this wow. year with the way the league is. It's ridiculous. Now, with this uh, seemingly young team with a lot of moving parts um, and experience, uh, albeit talented in experience. 
Do you think it's better for them that they will have Louisville, for example, to start the season and the schedule that they do, or would it be better if they got to play some cupcakes for the first few weeks to get everything figured out? What's better for a young team that needs to grow? Is it playing somebody really, really good at the jump, or is it beating up on Western Carolina for a few weekends? I don't know about like better or worse because you're going to run into at least one or one good weekend non-conference series and probably one or two more teams in some kind of tournament like that, no matter what, no matter really how you stack it. As far as out of the gate, I'm not sure it makes a huge difference because all in all, it is just three games in a 58-game slate or whatever it is now. So I'm not necessarily sure if it makes a difference one way or another, but I mean... Against a schedule like this, having a lot of newcomers probably, particularly in the field and like throughout the middle of your lineup, probably can't make you feel great right off the bat because, I mean, you'd see this with the 17 team who pitched it pretty well but just really struggled a lot at the plate. So I don't know. I mean, it just kind of depends. I don't think it makes a huge difference one way or another, you know, when they play them because you're going to run into one way or another. But I mean, Ole Miss does have a ridiculously daunting schedule. I mean, if you got Louisville, East Carolina, non-conference with Southern Miss, then you go LSU, Arkansas, State's on there, obviously. You drew Vanderbilt and Florida and Georgia out of the East. It is it's it is a gauntlet. I, I don't know what the Yankees are doing during spring training, but they may as well try to play one of them. In the next. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's rough. Uh, and uh, Mississippi State has their media days this weekend for baseball. Uh, hey, Dad, will have the coverage for you. Supertalk.fm or on our Twitter page, uh, Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Ole Miss also has some availability this weekend as well. And uh, we will uh, do a lot more baseball starting Monday of next week. So be on the lookout for that. And, John, uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for the question. And uh, glad you are with us. Speaking of baseball, teased it yesterday. I want to get to it now. A new layer to this Houston Astros cheating scandal. And, by the way, Dallas Keuchel was uh, interviewed a little bit earlier where he said the thing that disturbs him the most is that the whistleblower broke the dugout rule or the clubhouse rule. Um, So the Astros are not doing a very good job of PR in this moment. But a new layer, thanks to the Wall Street Journal yesterday, said that no players were punished in this because they were granted immunity. The Wall Street Journal said the league and the Players Association struck an agreement early in the process that granted immunity in exchange for their honest testimony. The league was quick to make the offer because, in part, they did not believe it would win grievances with any players it attempted to discipline. It's a very weak stance, but that is the stance they gave. It's partly because of a bureaucratic shortcoming. The Astros' front office never discussed with players in the league's... um, in in the situation here, the players involved and didn't tell them that the league was against using electronics to seal signs. So Major League Baseball struck up a deal with the players in part because the Astros didn't tell the players that sign-stealing with electronics was a no-go. Hard to believe. What's your reaction? I guess that that wasn't necessarily news to me that they were granted immunity in, in exchange for their cooperation, but it makes sense. I, I don't necessarily quite understand the grievances deal because, like, and from everything I've read, it seems very blatantly, obviously, that was very much against the rules using technology to steal signs. So I don't necessarily understand that. 
Maybe that's a cover-up for them not wanting to damage the on-field product. Maybe that's genuine. I'm not really sure. But the fact that they were given immunity in exchange for their testimony and cooperation is not surprising to me, I guess, on the surface. Any yeah. thoughts, Ada? Yeah, like I said, you know, they're going to protect their, their players, I think, because the players are what people are buying tickets to see. So, you know, they don't want to – I think they want to punish the Astros franchise, but they don't want to kill the Astros franchise. So – I guess that's 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 how I'm going to have to look at this. They just they feel like damaging the 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 game in terms of suspending players or or you know banning players would not be good long term. I guess isn't that so weak though? I, I'm oh, weak. I'm blown away that their reason for this was well the Astros never told their players that you can't electronically steal signs as if these are a bunch of brain dead morons walking around the dugout. Uh, not knowing how to use their brain. Like, of course they knew that this was bad. That's why they tried to hide it. How can you, as the leader of Major League Baseball, accept that and go through with that, with that being your justification? That is just weak to me. Allowing, or not allowing, not punishing the players involved because you were worried you weren't going to win a grievance because they weren't specifically told by the Astros that this was a bad thing to do. That's weak. That's why I don't think that's necessarily... Like, I get that that's the reason they're stating. I'm not necessarily sure if I buy that 100%. Also, why not? Spirit, cry me a river with... What? Why not? Because I think it has more to do with the on-field product thing. I, I don't think... like. So this I, might just be their excuse, you think? That, yes, because I, I don't buy the grievance deal, because that, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Just because your club didn't explicitly tell you that doesn't mean you're not held accountable for knowing the rules of Major League Baseball. That, to me, doesn't make a ton of sense. Maybe it's genuine. I doubt it. But And then, I don't know, spare me the clubhouse uh, like code of secrecy thing, like, he doesn't play for your team anymore. And if you're cheating and you're costing dudes money and careers and jobs and wins and losses and things like that, like I'd probably be like, hey, these dudes cheat. Andy says the it's players... not like, oh, go ahead. Sorry, it's not like Fears was a hitter. It's not like he wasn't part of the thing. He was a pitcher. So he had nothing to do with it. He was just benefiting it from it, I guess, in the you know, in in the form of wins and run support. But when he goes to a different team, particularly if you're a pitcher, what does he care? Andy says the Players Association is just too strong. And, um, I mean, maybe Manfred's just afraid of them, which would, wow, that would be a bad look. But maybe Rippy and Haydad are on to something. But thanks uh, for listening, Andy. Glad you're with us. And Jerry and Tupelo says, every time we bring this up, we got Pete Rose stands. He says again. These players are worse than Pete Rose betting on his own team to win. That's Jerry and Tupelo. Thank you guys for being a part. You want to be like them, you can. Text us, 601-879-4395. On the Ceasefire text line, and don't forget, all guests appear via the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Trent asked us a question about the 3-3-5 defense. So, Trent, we'll get to your question next. Mississippi State running a very unique defense next year. What do we think? We'll tell you next. Stick around. Still rolling along on this Friday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky. Got Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey with you. So, Trent, you asked us, 
What is your opinion on the 3-3-5 defense? The new defensive coordinator at Mississippi State is going to run. Will that work in the SEC? So, hey, Dad, we'll start with you. 3-3-5 defense in the SEC, and then pair that across the, the way with Mike Leach's offense. Interesting, if nothing else, in Starkville for sure with those two systems. What do you think? going to be a lot of aggression on the field, both sides of the ball uh, this year in Starkville. I think defense, especially in the SEC, is more about talent. So the real question is, does State have the talent? Because if you've got the talent, it doesn't really matter what the formations are so much. Um, I mentioned when we're talking about Deke Adams that State had played two redshirt freshmen basically the whole year. Those guys come back along with Nathan Pickering, who was a true freshman last year, uh, was all SEC freshman. Uh, Kobe Jones is back for another year. Um, Errol Thompson will be back to anchor the middle. Um, they, they've got talented guys there. You know, they were they were young last year on defense, but a lot of those guys took their knots and knocks, and they'll be back. Uh, they're going to need some of those JUCO guys like uh, Trey Lawson, uh, Tyrus Wheat to be some immediate contributors. But I think they'll be fine. And, and honestly, you know, if you if you're talent deficient to teams, you're, if you're going to lose anyway, go down swinging. You know, what I, I can't stand to see a team that is clearly you know at a talent deficiency to another team, and they just sit there and play base defense and try to play read and react. You got to go after them at that point. You got to try to punch them in the mouth a couple of times and and make it happen. You know, so state state will. When you look at games against Auburn, LSU, Alabama, I think being aggressive on defense gives you your best chance to win. You look back to uh, the last two, or I'm sorry, two seasons, three seasons ago, and two seasons ago uh, with Alabama, Mississippi State. You know, against uh, when Todd Grantham's defense was in that game until the very end, and then in that Tuscaloosa in eighteen. They had their they they did better against Alabama than anybody else did defensively. The problem is they could not move the ball at all offensively in that game. So I think you have to be aggressive. I think that's the way Mississippi State wants to do things, and and they will under uh, Zach Arnett. The most fascinating thing, and again, I I would like to think I know a good bit about football. A lot of you listening would probably uh, disagree with that. I do think I I've understand the game pretty well. I did not know much about the three three five. We ran it a little bit in high school, but very rarely. It was that's the only familiarity I had with that defense largely. So after the hire was made, I sat down, uh, finished the notes for the show a few days ago, and just started watching YouTube videos of people explaining the three three five and the blitz creativity that you can get with it is really interesting. I mean, it's a defense that is designed to stop spread offenses more so than it is like a team running a tight end with two backs and going to run the football at you. Because it's not like the 3-4, where the 3-4 is not three, usually, not three defensive linemen and four linebackers four yards off the ball. It's usually three defensive linemen and somebody maybe standing up. You bring pressure from four guys most of the time. This is three defensive linemen, and usually, and it changes some, but three linebackers, people that are lined up off the ball a lot of times directly behind the defensive linemen in front of them, which allows for a lot of stunting and blitz creativity, and you've got six guys, if you're only bringing four, an offensive line has to figure out quickly, and a quarterback has to figure out quickly where those two guys are coming from, gap protection and all that stuff. So it puts a lot of pressure on the offensive line to read things and adjust on the fly because you can blitz from so many different angles uh, running the 3-3-5. So it's a really creative defense, and as Haydad said, aggressive, and that's from studying YouTube videos uh, a few days ago. So that's the best I can give you. It sounds smart. I believe it is smart, and uh, you're welcome.
Yeah, I think I think it's going to be effective. I, I I really do. I think state's got the talent to make it work. I, I think they've got the athletes there, and the state of Mississippi long term produces the kind of athletes who can who can. You know, there's always going to be quality linebackers and defensive linemen in this state. So your recruiting base that you, you're not having to, you know, when you look at Leach's system, right? The state of Mississippi, year in and year out, doesn't normally produce the kind of quarterbacks that's going to uh, fit that system. It, it, it did last year with Will Rogers. I think it has two this year that could with Ty Keys and Luke Altmyer. But by and large, for the most part, it's, it doesn't. And so you're going to be getting quarterbacks from outside your recruiting footprint. But in terms of getting you know quality defensive linemen and quality linebackers, they're 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 available all day in this state. Jim in Caledonia. Uh, asking about the NFL experimenting with uh, less kickoffs in the Pro Bowl. So here's what he's talking about. Uh, because you're not going to watch it. I know you're not. Because uh, I'm not. Uh, the Pro Bowl could not be any less interesting to me um, than it is already. I'm not going to touch it. So if you watch it, kudos to you. You love football more than I do. But they are doing something interesting. The NFL is going to test a new kickoff system at the Pro Bowl this weekend. They're experimenting with an alternative, especially to the onside kick at Sunday's Pro Bowl, an indication that the league is still considering the option. This is from ESPN. Owners did reject it, but the league wants to do something about kickoffs, most especially to reduce injury, but also because kickers have gotten so good, we love the kickoff because that's what we've always described, right? You know, got to make the game before kickoff. It's symbolic now, more than it is effective. Kickers are kicking the ball through the end zone every single time now. Kick returners aren't even really used anymore. I mean, remember how there used to be dynamic and electric kick returners? We don't even know anymore because they just don't do it that often. As in pa- or Just like in past years, there will be no kickoffs at all in the Pro Bowl, but the twist this year is they will have two options after scoring. The first is to give the ball back to the opposition uh, where they start on their own 25-yard line. But the new second option for the scoring team would serve as a substitute for an onside kick. Again, this is from ESPN. It would allow them to run an additional play from their own 25-yard line. If they gain 15 yards or more, they would keep possession. If it's short, the offense or the uh, opponent would take over at the dead ball spot. So basically, they're testing if it's an if you want to onside kick it, you line up and have a fourth and 15. And if you make it, you get the ball. If you don't, your opponent gets it from right there. Onside kicks, according to this story, have been uh, more difficult to recover ever since uh, the NFL's overhaul of the kickoff in 2018. It just doesn't happen very often. Uh, onside kicks recoveries have dropped from 21% in 2017 to 7% in 2018 and just 12% last season. So they want to increase the probability of a team scoring and retaining possession, and they're testing this 4th and 15 thing at the Pro Bowl this weekend. What do you think about it? The Chiefs will have a significant advantage. Yeah. That's a good Third and point. fourth and fifteen means nothing to them. I mean, could you move it That's back Mahomes to like time. a? Yeah, like I mean, I guess you can't do it to one quarterback. But even with the way the league's going, like let's make it like a fourth and a hundred Henry or something. Like let's make it real crazy before you get one back. Like back it up ten more at least. 
Fourth and fifteen is not an unmakeable down in this in this day and age of football. It just isn't. That's a that's a reasonable down and distance, believe it or not. So yeah, I agree. But it's, Fourth and twenty, maybe, but yeah. It it's interesting though. Like it would depend on the team, right? Because like Mahomes, it's like, well, I mean, no lead is safe. You could be down thirty five in the fourth quarter and may never get the ball back. But with like, I'm trying to think like run heavy teams like a Buffalo. That is not even really the best the example. Raven. Well, the Ravens isn't a good example either because I mean Lamar Jackson can do so much. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. That, yeah. That I mean, like the Jets. Different like, teams are gonna. Yeah, they're gonna have different advantages. So. I like you know you know you guys know me. I'm an old man. I normally fear change, but I actually like this this concept. I think it. Adds I like some it excitement. too. Yeah. You, Them changing on the board. onside kick has ruined the end of not ruined the end of games. That's too reactionary. It's made it less exciting. Because you kind of know it's over. Yeah. yeah, they're not covering that. Unless you're the Saints on Thanksgiving night where they awesome. gave up three consecutive. Or the Bengals when they needed to lose one game to clinch the number one pick and recover two in sports that came into overtime. Do you think the executives up in their fancy box were like, God, guys, come on, stop, stop. Drop the- it, drop it. So they scored when well, they were down eight when they got the last one. They scored it. I follow a bunch of the Cincinnati media contingent just when I was up there. And like, I literally got like 15 tweets at the same time. It's like, please, God, kick the extra point. <laughs> uh, text here from Bob and Pond Talk. Hey, guys, have a look at Joe Lee Dunn's defense and his schemes and formations from the 80s and 90s when he was at Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Sometimes he would only have two down linemen. You never know where or who they were coming from. Have a great weekend. Bob, thank you so much for listening. And, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that yeah. you'll see with a three-three-five. is you won't know Real where quick. guys are coming from. Real quick, with Mike Leach as the offensive coordinator against Kentucky in 97, Joe Lee Dunn came out with no defensive lineman for the first series. That's incredible. <laughs> they, they ran a draw on third and long. <laughs> you, got, you, got, you saw the big guys coming in. Oh, man, it's Sports Talk Mississippi on a Friday. Thank you for being a part of the show. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.